Tonight, I'm actually going to begin uh, a new uh, preaching study through the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians. And so go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. And uh, we're going to start tonight just by reading the first eight verses of chapter one. And uh, when you find that, you can stand with me for the reading of God's word. It'll be Colossians chapter one. Well, is that from Colossians? I don't remember. Sounds familiar. (laughs) Hey, it happens to all of us, right? Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And uh, if you found it, say amen. 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 It says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, that's a fancy way of saying Timothy, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, Whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you, since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. As you learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is your faithful, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us, your love in the spirit. The title of the message is going to come from verse three tonight. It says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And the title of the message tonight is simply give thanks and pray always. Give thanks and pray always. You may be seated. Now, as I was praying about what the Lord might have me to, uh, to preach on these Sunday nights, I Um, I looked over a lot of different things, and as I began to read through the book of Colossians, I realized what a powerful book this book of Colossians is. It's actually an incredible letter. It's short, and yet it's profound when you look at the content of it. And the focus of this book is really the focus of this book is Jesus. He is the center. He's the center theme of this book. And it tells us of the person of Christ, and it tells us of the power of Christ. It'll tell us of his power to redeem. It'll tell us of his power to reconcile. It shows us the sufficiency of Christ in us and his power to live through us. It'll show us the results of his life in us and how to live with those around us. It'll strengthen our relationship to God and to those around us. It's really profound and practical, and it's precise, and it's clear, and it was for the Colossians, and guess what? It's for us here tonight. 
The Bible says that all things were written uh, for our learning before time. All the examples of the people in the scriptures are for us to learn from, to grow from, to take those things in. And this book of Colossians is really incredible. And there's a few things that the Lord has laid on my heart in this. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to try more or less to preach through the book of Colossians. Uh, so sometimes I might yell at you and sometimes I might try to teach you something or a combo of both, whatever. Whatever feels good at the time, right? No, I'm, I'm teasing you. But uh, by way of introduction, I just want to give you a little bit of information about the city of Colossae, uh, because you need to have a little bit of backstory on this before we can go further. So uh, a funny thing is that, believe it or not, there are actually some liberal scholars that, that question who wrote the book of Colossians. Which is hilarious, because if you look at verse 1, the first chapter, what's the first word that it says? Paul. Well, I'd say that'll do it for me. There was a hard debate. Uh, scripture, I'll take the Scripture's word for it. Paul is the very first word in this letter. It's obvious who wrote it. It was written sometime around uh, the early uh, 60 AD, so 62 to 63 in that range. Um, actually, an earthquake came not too long after this letter was received and destroyed the city of Colossae, um, more or less wiped it out. And just recently, within, I think, the last few months, they finally decided that they might uh, dig up the, the mound of dirt that's out there and start uncovering that uh, ancient city. Um, now, the letter says here that it's written to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which is at Colossae. Now, this is one of four epistles that were written by Paul while he was in prison in Rome. You'll hear of them called uh, the prison epistles. And the other ones that, include, uh, that are included in that would be the book of Ephesians, uh, the book of Philippians, and a short little letter, which actually is a personal letter uh, called Philemon. And so Colossians is uh, one of those letters. Now, Colossae was a city in, um, in Asia Minor, which is located in modern-day Turkey. Um, I've never been there, but I've heard of it. We eat those for Thanksgiving, but it's not the same thing. Um, it's a city in Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey. It's one of three cities that were in what is called the Lycus River Valley, and the other two cities include one that you've heard of, Laodicea, You'll, you remember the church. There's a church in Laodicea. The book of Revelation talks about a letter uh, was written to them. Uh, then you also have Hierapolis. Uh, these, two, these three cities, Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis, they're all within 10 to 15 miles of each other, other there. Um, not only that, Colossae is approximately 75 to 120 miles uh, away from another city you're going to recognize, which is the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a place of kind of almost a headquarters for Paul for a couple years, and we're going to talk about that uh, just a little bit. Uh, the church of Colossae. So uh, there were a lot of churches that were founded and built and sustained by Paul. You know, he was kind of the overseer and founder, but Colossae is not one of them. Paul is not the founder of the church in Colossae. 
In fact, uh, if you look over at verse 9 of this chapter, you're going to find out that uh, they simply, Paul was saying that they'd simply heard about this. You'll find that for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, so they simply heard about the church in Colossae. Not only that, but over in chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about that they had not seen his face. So we see here that Paul has heard of Colossae. Let me read chapter 2, verse 1 for you so you can see that. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So from what we gather from the scriptures, we see that Paul's not actually the founder of this church directly. I'll say directly. Um, He actually, it says that he has heard of this church and that he, uh, they have not seen him in the flesh. So the question that you have then is, well, who did found this church? Uh, How did it come into being? Well, it's believed that the church in Colossae came into being as a result of Paul's preaching in Ephesus when he was in the school of Tyrannus over in Acts chapter 19. And I just need to give you this information. The whole message isn't going to be this way. I just want to give you a little bit of backstory so you have an understanding of the location and the setting here. But many believe that the church was founded as a result of Paul's preaching in Ephesus for those two years. So look over in Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. I want to read that. She's got it up here on the wall as well. It says, and he, this is talking about Paul, went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, uh, but spoke evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Verse 10. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwell in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So while Paul is preaching in Ephesus, this is what, this is what believed, this is how the church in Colossae came into being. This happens a few years before the time of our letter, and Paul is preaching in the city of Ephesus, and he's kind of set up shop there. And what's happening is while he's preaching in the school of Tyrannus, people are coming and they're hearing the gospel being preached. They're coming to hear Paul preach the gospel, and as they're hearing the word of God, what's happening is people are being converted and then they're going back home to their places and they're beginning to share the gospel and they're beginning to tell people about what happened in their life and it's believed that one of those people, a couple of those people uh, was likely Philemon and a man by the name Epaphras. Epaphras is going to be an important character to this message. So as Paul is preaching, it's believed that a man named Epaphras comes and hears the gospel in Ephesus, this great city of Ephesus. And Paul's set up there for a couple years. And remember, it says that all throughout Asia, they're hearing the word of God from that place. All throughout Asia, they're hearing the word of God. And Epaphras is believed to be one of those. And so he comes and he hears the word of God. 
And so it's believed that the church in Colossae may have actually been founded by this man, Epaphras. Now, let me show you uh, why that makes sense. Let's look at verse 6 and 7 of this chapter 1. Speaking of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you since the day you heard it and knew of the grace of God in truth as, all, as you also learned of who? Epaphras. As, so he's saying you've learned of the gospel by Epaphras. Now, not only that, read on a little further. It says, he is our dear fellow servant who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. So what he's saying is the church in Colossae, this man Epaphras is actually, he is the one that brought the gospel to them. And Paul's writing this in the letter. He's the one that brought the gospel to them. And he's also their faithful minister or more or less their pastor. Do you follow me so far? So while Paul is preaching in Ephesus, it's believed Epaphras comes, hears the gospel. He takes the gospel back to Colossae, just about 75 miles away, begins preaching the gospel, and the church is formulated in Colossae. And now uh, we see uh, that Epaphras brought the gospel to them, and he's the faithful minister to them. Now, with that being said, the purpose of this letter, well, as Paul is addressing this, and he's writing this letter, really, overall, the church was pretty healthy. It was a pretty healthy church. Things were going well there. He commended them for their faith and their hope and their love. He said, I've heard these things. Um, heard that you're, that you're doing well. But what has happened is this man, Epaphras, who has more or less started this church, and Paul's preaching caused this church to be started. So Paul is kind of indirectly uh, the founder of it. Uh, and Epaphras has founded this church in Colossae. And what had happened is some false teachers started coming in and causing some problems within the church. They started causing, they started speaking some heresies and things that were going against the word of God. Well, Epaphras loved this congregation. He cared for them deeply. He labored for them. When you read through the book of Colossians, you'll see that Epaphras had a great heart for the people in Colossae. And so what happens is Paul, at this point, at the time of this letter being written, Paul's in prison in Rome, okay? So think about this. Paul's in prison in Rome, and Epaphras is in the city of Colossae. Now, when I do this, I'm meaning on the map, Colossae is way over here, and Rome is way over here. It's actually close to 1,300 miles from Colossae to Rome. Now, that's a pastor, I'm telling you. There are some people that wouldn't go 1,300 feet to get to church or care for somebody. And Epaphras loves these people so much that he's willing to travel for 1,300 miles, land and sea, to get to Rome to find the Apostle Paul because he needs to talk to Paul about some people that are coming into the church that are starting to teach these false doctrines and these heresies, and it's corrupting these new converts within this church, and it really, really is bothering Epaphras. And so he heads to Rome because he's going to talk to the Apostle Paul about it. 
So Epaphras comes and he gets to Rome and he starts talking to the apostle Paul and he tells him about all these wonderful people in Colossae that have heard the gospel and, and how he was preaching the word of God and, and there's a church there now and they've got love and they've got faith and they've got hope and uh, he's telling Paul all about this and, and Epaphras says, I have some concerns and he starts telling Paul about what those things are. And so the response is the letter of Colossians. The response to what's happening in the church of Colossae at the time is this letter of Colossians. Now, it's amazing because some of the things that were happening in that church at the time uh, was a form of legalism. There were what you would, might call Judaizers that were trying to mingle Christianity with the old Jewish religion. Something like what you see in Galatians was an issue too. They were trying to say it's, it's Jesus plus some stuff. You'll find in this book that there also, um, there's a form of mysticism that's happening, that there is some angel worship going on that's not a good thing. There's some angel worship that's going on. And you'll find that there is also uh, uh, an early form of something that's called Gnosticism. And what that is, is basically they deny the deity of Christ completely. They deny that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is Christ. And what they say actually has happened is that God uh, wouldn't create the world and matter. So what he did was he created what they call emanations, one after another, after another, after another, after another, until it was so far removed from God that God didn't actually create the world, one of the emanations did. And they believed that Jesus was one of those emanations, which is completely baloney, however you spell it. And so what Paul does in this letter, the solution that he has is that he's going to Really what he's going to do is just turn their attention to Jesus. Paul's going to take what he's hearing about this church and he says the solution that they need from what I'm hearing is happening right now in the church of Colossae, what they need is they need to have a real clear view of who Jesus Christ, the King of kings, Lord of lords, Son of God, Almighty God in the flesh is. They need to have a clear view, unmistakable, undisputable, that Jesus is not an emanation, but he is the creator of all things, that he is the one from whom all creation has come into being. He was the one that was in the beginning with God and the word was God. He is God in the flesh and by him all things are created and without him not anything was made that was made. And Paul's going to give them basically his defense. He's going to say, well, here's the problem but I'm going to tell you, and so he goes through this letter, and each thing that's happening in this church, he, with the stroke of his pen, begins to completely knock it down and say, that's garbage, that's garbage, that's garbage, because when you get a clear view of who Jesus is, you'll see when the garbage shows up, amen? 
And so he's just going to turn their attention to the deity of Christ. He's going to turn their attention to the supremacy of Christ. He's going to turn their attention to his work and his sufficiency. He's going to turn their attention to Christ working in us, the inworking of Christ. He's going to, uh, to give them a, a, a glimpse of the underlying truth that is true about every believer is that we are complete in Jesus. It's not Jesus plus something. It's not Jesus and. It's not Jesus or. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's what he's going to begin to speak to these people. He's going to say, listen, you're getting these, these yehoots are coming in off the street and you think they sound pretty good and they claim to have super knowledge about things. That was one of the Gnostics uh, things. They claim to have a higher revelation of knowledge. Have you ever seen that in some of these phony baloney teachers you might see from time to time? They claim to have a higher revelation. Let me give you the real revelation. It's right here and you can have it for $49.95. And so <clears throat> the letter was written for that reason. We're not going to get into all the things. Once again, I'm just kind of trying to give you an overview of this book of Colossians. And there's a few things that I want to speak to you about. Now, the letter um, was delivered, actually, by a man named Onesimus Antichicus. Onesimus was actually a runaway slave. And when he went back home... He was going to take a letter to his slave owner, Philemon, and that letter is the little letter of Philemon. He was going to hand deliver that to his owner that he ran away from, and inside of that, Paul is sticking up for him saying, you need to receive Onesimus as your brother in Christ, and if he owes you anything, Put it on my account. I'll pay for it. Basically, Paul uh, really uh, backs Philemon into a corner and says, listen, you need to be good to this man when he shows up. And, and I believe that, uh, that Philemon did just exactly that that's in that letter. And Tychicus, he delivered uh, the letter. It's interesting because it appears that when Epaphras was, uh, came to Rome, it looks like he may have actually been arrested when he got to Rome because he wasn't able to return. Uh, in, in the seventh verse of this first chapter, it says that, that he uh, was a fellow servant of Paul. And over in Philemon Chapter 1, verse 23, it says that he was a fellow prisoner of Paul. So in the meantime, something happened. He went 1,300 miles to be with the best of the worst company or the worst of the best company. You hang out with Paul, you end up in jail. <laughs> and that's what happened. Of course, it was for a good reason. And if you're in jail for a good reason, that's okay. Amen. So that's kind of the overview of, of how the letter got there, why the letter was written, and what happened. Now, I, I want to move just kind of down through here, and I'm going to make a few comments as we go. So verse 1 and 2 of this chapter uh, 1 of Colossians, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, that's the amazing thing. The apostle, uh, Paul, he writes in this, and he says, I am an apostle by the will of God. What Paul was doing was 
exactly what God wanted him to do. Paul was exactly in the place that God had called him to be. There was probably lots of people that knew Saul of Tarshish, and they would have never thought that he would ever be an apostle by the will of Jesus Christ. But another place in Scripture, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, standing up here tonight, I'm preaching the, the, the word to you, and I didn't think several years ago that I would ever be here doing this, but tonight I'm preaching the word of God to you by the will of Jesus Christ. I am, a, I am a servant of this church by the will of Jesus Christ. If I thought that that wasn't true, I wouldn't be up here. If there was any other thing that I thought was I should be doing, then I would be doing it. But I believe that God has called me into this ministry as a minister by the will of Jesus Christ. And in whatever condition, whatever place you find yourself, whether it be playing an instrument, it's by the will of Jesus Christ when you're doing it for God. God. If you're a teacher in the back and you're teaching the children, you're doing that. You're a teacher by the will of God. When you're serving Jesus Christ, you're doing these things by the will of God, and it's a service to the Lord. You may just be a witness on your work, on your in your workplace, and you're still a witness for Jesus Christ by the will of God. Because there is a place, every place, where we can serve Christ. And so, when God calls you in into the ministry, wherever it may be, if it's just working nine to five and being a witness, let it be done to the glory of God and you can say that it is by the will of God. It's by the will of God, wherever you're at. Now look at verse three and four. Paul is going to give thanks to God. He says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. Now, I believe nothing brought Paul more joy than when he's sitting in this prison cell in Rome and he has somebody like Epaphras show up and start telling him about some fruits of his labor that happened way back in Ephesus and he sees that there is this beautiful church that has happened and people are hearing the gospel and people are hearing the word of God and it made Paul happy. I believe that it thrilled Paul to find out that there were people there in Colossae that were a fruit of his labors in Ephesus. See, Paul had a habit of thankfulness. If you read through his epistles, he had a habit of prayer and thankfulness. And so should we. You know, every day that we live, we should have a habit in our life of prayerfulness for others, those around us, and thankfulness to God for the things that he's done. There should be something inside of us that every day has something to praise God for, that every day has something to thank God for, that every day has... Uh, even if you find yourself sitting in a prison cell like Paul, he still had something to give God glory for, and he did. Amen. 
Now he's going to actually begin to give some words of affirmation. He's going to encourage these people and he's going to confirm uh, Epaphras to them as being the real deal because we know that these false teachers were coming in and, and oftentimes the first thing that they want to do is to discredit the leadership. They want to attack the leadership. They want to cast doubt on the leadership. That's a tactic that the enemy has used for many years and the devil likes to do that. And so he's going to encourage and affirm, uh, affirm and confirm. So look at verses three through five. Let's read that together. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Now, number one, I want to point out to you that these believers had faith. These believers had faith. You heard that? He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, it wasn't that they just had faith, but he, he was pointing out the object of their faith was Jesus Christ. He was thrilled to find out that these people in Colossae had faith, and they didn't just have faith in faith itself, but they had faith in Jesus Christ. And if Jesus isn't your object of faith, then your faith is worthless, you can have all kinds of faith in the world. You can do anything you want. You can, have, you can uh, concoct all kinds of ideas. But if your faith isn't in the person of Jesus Christ, then you don't have anything. And Paul was saying, I love to hear that you've got faith and you've got it in Jesus. And really, he's pointing out some things that are marks of true believers. It's what he's doing here. So he says, not only do you have faith, but these believers also had love. They didn't just have faith, but they had love for their brothers and sisters. He says, for the love which you have to all saints. So he has love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, the true born-again believer in, in Jesus will have love for his brothers and sisters. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Not only did these believers have love, but they had hope. He says they had hope for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. The amazing thing about the born-again believer is that we have a hope beyond this world. We have a future in Christ Jesus. We have a hope beyond this world that there are some place that we are going where we are never going to fade away. There's a place that we're going where we're never going to, uh, to hurt or uh, we're never going to sorrow. We're never going to have pain. We have a hope in Christ Jesus that we're going to be with him forever in glory. Amen, yes. Not only did they have faith and, and love and hope, but these believers had fruit. Look at verse 6. Which is come unto you, talking about the gospel as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. See, the gospel was going everywhere. It was reaching people all over the place. The gospel was going out in power. And the more it went out, the more fruit there came. And these Colossians were, were a product of the preaching of the gospel. And when they believed the gospel and they received the gospel and they put their faith in Jesus Christ, then they were transformed and they began to bring forth fruit as a result 
result of the working of Christ inside of them. The work of grace in the heart of an individual will always bring fruit. When God begins to move inside of someone and begins to change them, it's going to bring fruit inside of you. Old things are going to begin to phase out and to pass away as God is working himself more and more in you and it's going to bring fruits of love and joy and peace and all the such like that and you're going to want to share the gospel and make other people uh, come to know the wonderful thing that Christ has done in you. The Bible says, wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. That's what Jesus said. Now look at verses 7 and 8. I want to move along quickly here. Paul is confirming Epaphras to them is what he's doing here in these verses. As you learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. See, Paul wanted to make sure that these people in Colossae knew that Epaphras was one of the good guys, that the gospel that he preached was right, that what Epaphras had come and spoken to them and began to minister to them, that he is one of the good guys. Paul was saying, you've got some weirdos that are coming in, but not Epaphras. What you've learned from him and what you've heard from him, you believe it because he is your faithful minister and he is teaching you the right things. And Paul wanted them to know no matter what these guys come in and say, no matter what they come in and they start attacking this good man of God, you know this, that Epaphras is a good man of God and he is a faithful minister. You know, we have a faithful minister of God in this church here. We have a good man of God in this church here. And I've seen through the years, <laughs> Joyce is saying two of them, and we appreciate you guys, and we love you guys. And I've seen, uh, I've seen this very thing through the years where people would come in and want to attack the leadership. But God has established who he will establish, and God will hold his people up in those places. And any he, he has... Now, here's something that's so important. Paul is going to pray for these believers. He's going to pray for these believers. And this is really a model prayer for us. So let's look at it real quick. Look at verse 9 of this chapter. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, the, the prayer that he's going to pray is in three parts here. He's going to lay this prayer out. Number one, he's going to pray for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. We've seen that. And he's going to pray for their walk, and he's going to pray for their strength. Now, on the subject of the knowledge of God's will, there, there are a few things to be observed with this. He prays for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in wisdom and spiritual understanding. So what does that mean? What does that look like when we see that prayer? Well, knowledge is easy to figure out. That's information. Knowledge is, is information. Now, the way that you're going to find out knowledge of God's will, the number one way you're going to do that is when you are filling your mind with the Word of God. 
The number one way, if you're wondering about the will of God and how do I determine what the will of God is, the number one way that you're going to fill your mind with the knowledge of his will is when you're reading the scriptures. When you're reading the scriptures, you're taking in information. You're learning about God. You're learning about his character. You're learning about his ways. You're learning about how God has moved in the past and how he'll move in the future. When you know somebody, you begin to learn the things that they like and the things that they don't like. Those of you that know my dad, you know if you're going to give him something to eat, don't bring him a bowl of spaghetti because he does not like that. As you learn about God, you're going to learn about the things that God likes and what God doesn't like. And the Word of God, as you're filling your mind with the knowledge of his, of his will in the Word of God, you're taking in that information. Now he says, not only that, fill them with the knowledge of your will, but also in wisdom. Now, I've thought a lot about this. Now, I think a good way to say it is wisdom is information in action. Now, it'll make more sense to you here in just a minute. Wisdom is information in action. Wisdom takes knowledge and it puts it into action. It's able to see an outcome given a set of circumstances and apply it in that situation. What do I mean? Remember the, uh, uh, the story that Jesus told about in Matthew chapter 7? Let me read that for you, verse 24 through 27. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a what? Wise man, which built his house upon a rock, and when the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house, it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So he's saying, the man that hears what I'm saying, that takes in the information, and when he hears the information, he puts it into action and says, because the winds are coming, because the storms are coming, because the troubles of life are coming, I'm going to build on the foundation of rock because Jesus said, that's what I need to do. And Jesus said, the man that hears my words and he does it, I will liken him unto a wise man. So wisdom is information in action. Now, not only that, but we're talking about spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding. Now, what is that? Wisdom and understanding, they really, they go hand in hand. And wisdom answers how to go about it. And understanding tells us why it's going to work. So wisdom will tell us how to go about it in a set of circumstances with the information that you have. And understanding is going to tell you why it's going to work. So, uh, basically, here's, here's what happens. When we learn about God's will through his word, and we're learning about God, and we're seeing the things that he's teaching us in the pages of Scripture, and we take that information in the word of God, and we begin to apply it in our life, what's going to happen as we apply God's word in our life, then God is going to give us spiritual understanding or revelation. The light's going to come on, and it's going to start making more sense to us. 
So we take in the information. We act on what the word of God says. And then as we do that, God will grant revelation to us. And it's going to start making sense. So when we're trying to learn God's will, what do we need to do? We need to learn about God. We need to take in the knowledge of his will. We need to apply it. And as we apply it, and as we're doing those things, we'll find that God begins to illuminate. God begins to shine some light in the area of what his will is for you to do. And as you do it, you'll find that you're going to learn more and more and more because God is granting you spiritual understanding. Does that make sense? That's how God does it. Think about the Apostle Paul. Let me give you a real life uh, example. Apostle Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus and, and the light shined from heaven and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And, and Jesus said, I'm Jesus who you persecute. And Saul said, what will you have me to do? And Jesus said, arise and go into the city and it's gonna be told you what to do. All Paul knew, all Saul knew at that time about the will of God was in that moment when Jesus said, get up and go. He didn't know he was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He didn't know that he was going to do all these things later on. All that he knew in that moment was that, well, I'm going to act on the information that I have. I'm going to take the step as God has told me. And as I take that step, then God is going to grant spiritual revelation about what his perfect divine will is for me in my life. That's how it works. That's how God does it. He begins to give you, see, you know, here in the church, we have automatic lights in our bathroom. You know, you open the door and it's dark in there. And the light doesn't come on until what? You step in. And the moment that you do, the lights come on. God kind of expects us to do that same kind of thing. When God is moving us in a direction of what his will is for us in, in our lives, sometimes God has is, is opened a door for us, and we say, oh, Lord, it's dark in there. And he says, go ahead, take a step. Yeah, but I don't know that I want to take a step in there. And God says, well, you're never going to know anything more about it until you take your step. The light's never going to come on until you take a step. And so God is saying to some people who are wondering about the will of God, uh, you know, if you're not ever going to take the step to go in there, don't ever expect the spiritual understanding to come. If you're not going to learn about the information and the knowledge of my will, if you're not going to learn about it, if you're not going to apply it when I open the door, don't expect the light to come on when you're sitting around wondering what the will of God is in your life. That's how God's working. Are you still with me tonight? I got to move quickly here. I got to get through this prayer. Paul's prayer is for their walk. Look at verse 10. He says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he says, my prayer for you is that you're going to have a walk that's worthy of the Lord, a walk that's pleasing to the Lord, a walk that's fruitful in good works, and a walk that is increasing in the knowledge of God. So 
as Christians a worthy walk. We are the representatives of Christ on this earth. And the walk that we have should be one that Christ would never be ashamed of what we are doing inwardly or outwardly. Christ should always never be ashamed to name his name on us. That's a worthy walk. If we are doing things that's not pleasing to God, that's disappointing to God, then we are not having a worthy walk and perhaps Christ may be ashamed that we name the name of Christ. The Bible says, let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Not only that, but he's talking about a pleasing walk. A pleasing walk is someone that walks near to the Lord. You desire to please the Lord. You desire to learn of the Lord. You desire to honor him. You know someone who had a pleasing walk was Job. Job was a man that had a pleasing walk because God said, have you considered my servant Job? Perfect and upright. Fears God and and flees from evil. He pushes evil away. When you're thinking about somebody that has a pleasing walk, how about Enoch? The Bible says that Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. The book of Hebrews says that by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's a pleasing walk. Not only that, but it's a prayer for a fruitful walk. A fruitful walk. When you abide in Christ and his words abide in you, there's going to be a fruit that comes from that. He's also praying for a growing walk, the kind of walk that is studying the word of God, that's in fellowship with the people of God, that's learning about the things of God, the kind of walk that's going to promote you learning more and more and more about God. That's a growing walk. We're to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only that, but he prays for their strength. Look at verse 11. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. You know, believers are powerless apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have no strength in ourselves apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And Paul prays this prayer. He says, I want you to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, not your own. And when God gives us the strength to endure, we can endure any problem and any trial and any circumstance with supernatural joyfulness and patience and long suffering. And that's the prayer that he prays for them. Now, Paul is going to turn this prayer into thanksgiving. And I'm almost finished up. We're going to wrap this up here real quick. Paul's going to turn this prayer to thanksgiving. Look at verses 12 through 14. He says, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's an amazing thing. So as Paul is writing this letter to these Colossians, he wants them to know, first of all, that you've learned the right stuff, 
that your faith and your love and your hope is the right thing. He wants them to know that not only that, but way over here in Rome, you've got an apostle that's praying for you and Epaphras, and you've got a good minister of God that's praying for you. And not only that, I want you to know about the blessings of the Lord and the blessings of grace. And, and these are the things that I'm praying for you. And these are the ways I want you to be strengthened. And these are the things that we're praying together for you, that you're growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you know what? I want to also give thanks. And as he gives thanks, I know that it was an encouragement to those believers because he starts talking about the fact that, that we have been qualified to be partakers in Christ's inheritance. He starts talking to them about the fact that we have an expectation to join other believers in, the, in, in glory. He starts talking about that we have been delivered from the power of darkness and that we have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And he talks about how we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says that we've been forgiven of all of our sins. And as he's pointing these things out to these believers, I believe it was such an encouragement for them to hear these things as he's written this to them. See, we were unqualified, but now we have been qualified by Jesus Christ. The things that I've been talking about here, the believer in Christ, see, we have these things now. In Christ, we have the blessings of Jesus Christ. We are now qualified to go to heaven to be with Jesus. We now have been delivered from the powers of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. We now have the inheritance that is reserved in heaven that is incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away. Right now, we have these things. We have them secured in the person of Jesus Christ. And he wanted these believers in Colossae to know Jesus is worth putting your faith in. He is worth hanging on to. He is worth learning about. He is worth growing in. He is worth it. He's worth it because you've got a weight of glory someday that you're going to know in heaven. And he's saying, listen, keep on going. Keep on going because there's good things for the believers in Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to go any further in this chapter than that, but just uh, I'm going to have you go ahead and bring a song tonight. But I love that fact that when he says giving thanks to the Father, he's made us meet. That means qualified to go to heaven. The price has been paid. We have been taken in as children of God. And because we are children of God, then we have the inheritance of God. It was secured for us by the cross of Jesus Christ. And when these Colossian believers heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they believed in their heart that Jesus Christ died for them and rose again from the grave, the moment that they believed and put their faith in Jesus Christ, repented of their sins, they were immediately translated and conveyed from the kingdom of darkness to where they had been bound, and they were brought into the kingdom of his glorious dear son, Jesus Christ. Immediately, fully, 
translated from the powers of darkness that had their grip upon them, from the powers of darkness that had held them all these years, from the powers of darkness that said, I will never ever let you go, from the addictions that they had, from the troubles that they had, the powers of darkness said, I will not let you go. But Jesus, the Almighty, came and conquered what was mighty. The Almighty is able to conquer anything that is mighty and stronghold in your life. The Almighty can come and take care of that problem. There'll never be a mighty that is any match for the almighty. And Jesus came and he brought them hope and he brought them life. And Paul says, you boys have made a good decision. You ladies have made a good decision. I see that little church over there in Colossae. And I'm praying for you, and Jesus is praying for you, interceding for you in heaven. And when we pray for each other, and we give thanks to God, we're doing exactly the things that we need to be doing. Give thanks and pray always. When we're praying for our brothers and sisters, you'll never be more like Jesus than in that moment when you're praying for your brothers and sisters. That's our God. We're gonna stand tonight and give an invitation. If you'd like to come pray, these altars are open for you. And uh, I trust that the Lord has spoken to your heart tonight. You know, this prayer that he prayed in this is really remarkable, really amazing. And there's so much to it. And I found myself, you know, if you're not sure how to pray for somebody, you can take this prayer right here in this first chapter of Colossians, and you can pray like an apostle. You can pray a big prayer, and you're praying the Word of God. And I believe that that's fruitful. And so something that I would like to do as as a church together, can we pray this prayer? Can we pray this? Will you pray these words with me? Will you repeat this after me? Heavenly Father, fill me with the knowledge of your will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, help me to walk worthy of you, Lord pleasing you, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of you. Strengthen me with all might according to your glorious power. In patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, Thank you that you have qualified me to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. Thank you that you have delivered me from the power of darkness and have translated me into the kingdom of your dear son, Jesus. Thank you that by his blood 
I have been redeemed and forgiven of my sin according to the riches of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isn't that good? I'll be honest, according to the riches of your grace come from Ephesians, but it's a parallel prayer really with Colossians. I trust that you've been blessed tonight. We're going to leave the altars open.